It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Eternal life. We, as humans have been entranced by the idea for millennia. And clearly, we have never even come close to achieving it. Instead, it's an industry that has been filled by snake oil salesmen, purveyors of magic elixirs, and so-called god pills promising the impossible. But a funny thing has started to happen quietly in the background. Over the last couple of decades, research has been carried out in labs that has begun to produce surprising and very encouraging results young blood rejuvenating arthritic senior citizens, pills that miraculously double lifespan, new diagnostics that can turn cancer detection into something akin to your biannual checkup at the dentist. Now before you all get excited, there's a catch. All of the above have been proven in lower life forms, rodents, worms, flies, but the science is strong enough that for the first time, a raft of potential life-extending treatments will start being tested in humans, which has led to an unprecedented boom in the science and business of aging. And ground zero for that boom, of course, is Silicon Valley. You know, rather than dying at age 81, catheterized and demented in your bed, you might die at 106 on the tennis court while winning. Okay, we're only going to obtain the youngest blood. It's really mostly from teenagers and then, you know, intentionally transfuse it into patients. Part of me when I'm 60 will be partially 40. It'll be partially 40. Yeah, yeah, like my blood building stem cells, my bone building stem cells could actually be 40-year-old stem cells contributing to my 60-year-old self. So yeah, I might be an aged hybrid. This week on Danny in the Valley, we're doing something a little different. We're going to take a whistle-stop tour of the present and future of aging, talking to the world's top experts and leading companies, as well as those who are a bit more out on the fringes, about how the very concept of old age and death could be dramatically altered, and sooner than we might think. Stay with us. To set the scene, I'll let Eric Verdon explain. Eric is president and CEO of the Buck Institute, one of the top private research organizations in the field of aging. I asked him why now, after all this time, aging has suddenly grown up. I think there was uh, three labs published fundamental discoveries showing that making a single mutation could actually increase lifespan up to double. Those three discoveries, one, you know, two of them were made in, in yeast, one was made little worm C. elegans, completely flipped on its head the way people were thinking about aging. Because I think now it demonstrated aging was not sort of the organism falling apart at all levels. It showed you that 
uh, it was under genetic control. No one believed there's a program for aging. It showed still that it could be regulated and modulated by genes. Those discoveries led to a flurry of activity, including the funding of the Buck Institute, which was, you know, we were uh, founded in, in 1998, and the mission of the Buck and, and, and many other scientists around the world was to map the whole extent of all of these pathways that control aging. The big idea then is that instead of treating the diseases of aging, like diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, stroke, the thrust of these new approaches is to treat aging itself as the affliction. It may not sound like it, but that is a huge and very important shift. Today, you can't go down to the pharmacy or get a prescription from your doctor for an anti-aging anything. In the future, you might. Stephanie Letterman is executive director of the American Federation for Aging Research, or AFAR, which has funded many of the scientists who have brought us to the brink of this revolution. When I remember, you know, back in the... Um the 90s, you know, I started in really 1993. The work was primarily in mice, uh, yeast flies, you know, nematodes. Of course, that still goes on. But, you know, we looked more about the hope of, of what this science can tell us about how aging and the biology of aging and the aging process affects disease. But I think now, after many years in the laboratory, we are finally able to develop the compounds and the drugs that will ultimately take us to the promise. Tom Rando runs a stem cell lab at Stanford University and is a pioneer in the field. We've been studying for years basic questions of why tissues don't repair as well in old people as in young people. So you get a skin injury, it doesn't heal an old person, or it has a big scar. You have a bone fracture, it doesn't heal well. I've, I play basketball, I just turned 40. Okay. Just and had ankle surgery because okay. I keep, I've twisted my ankle countless times. Right. But the last time, it just didn't fix. Every decade you'll find, it just there's that much less yeah. um, efficiency and efficacy. And we started asking the question years ago, because we're really a stem cell biology lab, is can we understand that decline in terms of a decline in stem cell function. Because if you look really at all the tissues in the body, mostly, they have stem cells that are there to repair injury. Okay, so those are the cells that kind of lie in the, in the tissue. Um, sometimes they're there to maintain the tissue just during normal wear and tear. Mm. Sometimes they're there really to repair these kind of more drastic injuries. The question was, do you run out of stem cells? Is that why? Right. And the answer was unequivocally no. The two most well-funded companies in this area are Calico, the super secretive sister company of Google, which has been seeded with $700 million for aging research and development, and Unity Biotechnology, which raised $116 million in venture capital from an array of blue chip backers, including Peter Thiel's Founders Fund and Bezos Expeditions. I met Dr. David at his office in South San Francisco, which is strewn with exercise equipment. The company is targeting what are called senescent cells, which multiply as we age and generally congregate in places where bad things happen as we get older, from diabetes to glaucoma. Since 2011, the company has been developing a family of molecules to eliminate senescent cells and, in theory, the debilitating symptoms that accompany them. If they work, the implications will be profound. It will mean, bluntly, that getting old will suck less. The first trial in humans will start next year for osteoarthritis. We don't aspire to kind of the Ponce de Leon kind of or Gwyneth Paltrow-esque 
models of this, right? Like, so, you know, we're kind of compared to those people. We're pretty boring. You know, we want to cure specific diseases where we have evidence that these cells underlie those diseases. So I would be a very happy camper if I can cure osteoarthritis, you know, which is the joint pain that you get when you age that we think are driven by senescent cells. You know, not to overblow that really boring achievement, but osteoarthritis is the primary reason it hurts to be old. So imagine if being old didn't hurt. (laughs) Senolytics is a new field. And while David is, of course, very optimistic, drug development is a crapshoot. His treatments could change the world or they could totally fail. Only time will tell. But we needn't all wait with bated breath on Unity's results. There are two drugs that are already out there in the world, being used by people every day, but just not for aging. Metformin, a pill given to people who are diabetic or pre-diabetic, has been around for 60 years, but studies have shown it may have much more far-reaching capabilities. Mice on metformin live 10% longer than those on a placebo, but more importantly, it dramatically decreased the occurrence of age-related diseases like osteoarthritis and cardiovascular disease. In other words, the mice live longer and lived better. And similar results were produced in humans in a study by Cardiff University in 2014, which found that thousands of type 2 diabetics who took metformin not only outlived diabetics on a rival drug, but also outlived non-diabetics who were studied as a comparison. This is potentially a very big deal, a miracle medicine already in circulation. However, the wheels of medicine turn slowly. Just because it works in diabetics does not mean it will not go terribly awry in healthy people. And so the idea was born for a trial that looks specifically at metformin's direct effect on aging. And Stephanie Letterman thinks this could be big, very big. I'm very excited about metformin because I believe that will pave the way to new drugs and better drugs and better metformin type drugs because we'll understand you know whether or not it really does delay or modify the conditions of aging there's something in this study that i believe we're going to learn a lot about which is why we at afar are trying to raise money for it we already have a commitment for half the cost and we're out there trying to raise money for the rest of it And I believe this study is going to change the world. The so-called TAME trial, which stands for Targeting Aging with Metformin, plans to follow 3,000 adults for between 5 to 7 years, half on metformin, half on placebo, and will cost around $70 million. Easy peasy, you might think. In the world of medical research, $70 million is chicken feed. Yet Afar and Nir Barzilai, the researcher who plans to run the study, have not been able to raise the money. Why? Because it's already a generic. It costs 28 cents a pill. In short, there's no money in it for the pharmaceutical industry. So extraordinarily, two years after unveiling the plan for the TAME trial, it is stuck on the drawing board. There is hope, though. One wealthy individual has agreed to cover half the cost himself. Can you say who the individual is? No, he, he, he prefers to be anonymous. Right. So we have to be pretty careful about that, yeah. 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 But he's a believer and a smart person, you know. Many people simply aren't willing to wait. To my shock, I found that there's a whole community of secret metformin takers, people who are convinced that this diabetes pill will help them stay healthy and live longer. Ned David is one of them. I am not diabetic, but I take it anyway. How do you get it? I um, snuggle up to my physician and uh, show him papers 
and say, wouldn't it be a good thing if we all took this? Well, I mean, that would have, is that a pill or? Is it? It's a pill. Right. I have some. You want some? No, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. okay. We can do some business after the podcast. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Another Metformin devotee is Aram Sabedi, the 31-year-old founder of startup ZeroCater, which specializes in providing those fabulously catered lunches for startups that are so common here in Silicon Valley. Sabedi is a bit of a special case. He's really into the idea of extending his own life and health for as long as possible and goes to lengths few others would. Here's Aram. Well, um, you know, as far as we've gone with technology so far, the best anti-aging medicine is a good diet and lots of exercise. So that's priority one. Uh, and I try to do that as much as I can. Try to eat healthy, exercise pretty intensely th- at least three times a week. I guess the, the more unusual stuff is that I take a few supplements namely metformin, take vitamin D, I measure my body fat, and like, I am just kind of a, a quantified self-nerd at the same time. So I'm, some, some of the information I gather isn't necessarily the most useful, but I find it interesting nonetheless. So I do what's called a DEXA scan. You do a body fat, body composition as the most accurate form. Do a VO2 max, where you run on a treadmill and they measure the, CO, the uh, CO2 that you generate as a measure of the work your body's done. And that's a pretty good uh, measure of fitness. Um, another uh, metric that's a pretty good indicator of how likely you are to die in the next five years is how low your resting heart rate is. And the lower, the better. And actually, that's like something you can improve with exercise. So I try to measure how my uh, resting heart rate is changing over time. And that's something that goes up as you get older. So I track a, a few metrics and then a few supplements as well. Uh, but you know, I've, I did the research. Uh, it's extremely low risk, so I thought, why not? What's a DEXA scan? How's that work? It's essentially a very low dose X-ray that uh, passes over your body. You know, athletes are familiar with various methods of body fat testing, anything from calipers to going in a, in a dunk tank. Um, DEXA scan is just the most accurate way of measuring your body fat and lean muscle composition. I've never had a DEXA scan, at least that I know of. Can you just go to a doctor's office and get that? Uh, I don't know if you can go to a doctor's office, maybe a sports doctor. There are, there are businesses that do this now, and one I use is called DEXAFIT, and they actually do the resting heart rate, the VO2 max, and the DEXA scan all together. So you go in there for like a six-month kind of check-in slash tune-up type of thing? Yeah, and I find it to be helpful because I, I do it quarterly, and I, I get measured, and I can see how my behavior is changing my like the amount of muscle I have and the amount of fat that I have. So actually, I, I did one today, and I was my expectations were kind of low because I'd kind of been slacking on the exercise and hadn't been eating that much that that well. And fortunately, the damage was, was limited. I had lost like half a pound of muscle and went up like like point one pounds on fat. But that's encouraging because I no I'm now like I want to. I want to stop slipping and get back on and like, that, get rid of that point one pound. <laughs> yeah. Well, like the point is, it's you. It quantifies the results of like what's happening. Like it quantifies the results of your of your decisions, which makes you make better decisions, in my opinion. And the metformin—that's not easy to come by. It's not over the counter. No, it's not over the counter. Um, I I do have a prescription for it. I I had just had an honest conversation with a doctor, and um, you know, the risk is low enough that. They were not opposed to it, especially given that there is a potentially high upside. And so you just went to the doctor and said, this is what I want. And he said, OK. It was, there was um, there were a couple of doctors, but yeah. you had to cycle through a couple. There, there was I found that I, a couple were just very close minded. And I was I actually found that I was very disappointed the original doctor had because, you know, I, I'm fine if they want to tell me that this is not safe. 
in fact, if it's not safe, I would love to be notified. Um, but essentially the conversation wasn't, this is not safe, this is why. It was just, I don't want to do this. And at that point, it's like, now they're just trying to cover their own ass rather than trying to actually have a reasonable conversation about what is actually medically most beneficial. Right. So I changed doctors. The other pill that has been shown to dramatically extend life expectancy in rodents is rapamycin. Unlike metformin, there is no black market in it because it has all kinds of nasty side effects. Its main purpose today is to prevent rejection in organ transplant patients. In mice, however, it has been shown to act as something of a fountain of youth, extending life by up to a third and holding off a whole host of age-related maladies. Right now at the University of Washington, researchers are carrying out tests on middle-aged dogs to see if rapamycin treatment will extend their lives as well. On its website, it claims that, quote, within five years, we may be able to increase healthy lifespan of middle-aged dogs by two to five years or more. That's human years, of course, not dog years. The next step, of course, would be humans, which could be the beginning of a cocktail of a few drugs that together could tackle aging itself and everything that goes with it and may lead ultimately to a single aging treatment, a god pill. Here's Eric Verdon again. You know, the, the premise of, of the whole field of aging research is that these diseases we, that are, you know, some forms of cancer, uh, heart attacks, stroke, uh, osteoarthritis, macular degeneration, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, are all driven by a set of shared mechanisms. And these mechanisms are the pathways of aging. When you start tinkering with these pathways in an efficient way with drugs, you actually are suppressing all of them. So the idea that you would have one disease, one pill for diabetes and one for cancer, this is not what the field is promising. The field is actually as observed, and when you tinker or slow down the aging process, you suppress the development of all of these diseases together. So now the question is, when you look at the pathways of aging, how many of these pathways are redundant, and how many pills do you need to take to really suppress you know, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, we have a number of, uh, of key players. You've heard about metformin. Another big one is uh, rapamycin. And for example, people have recently shown in the mice, if you combine metformin and rapamycin, you actually get a bigger effect, way bigger than when if you give them individually. We're far from really understanding everything that's going, and we need to understand better drug and more drugs. But the idea is once we have identified which pathway work and how they work together, my prediction is that you will have two or three or maybe four medicines for each of the pathways and you will be able to suppress all of the disease together. The question is, should we be doing all of this anyway? Are we playing God? I spoke about it with Laura Deming, who at the ripe age of 23 has been working on this problem of aging for nine years already. Yes, you did your math right. She started at MIT when she was just 14 years old, but dropped out two years later after Peter Thiel paid her $100,000 to move to California and devote all of her time and energy to the field. Today, Deming runs the $20 million longevity fund, which she plows into the most promising companies in the field. Unity is one of her investments, and Sabeti at Zerocator is one of the people who has put his money behind her. The first reaction from almost everyone that I've ever talked about aging with on the street or, you know, on an airplane or such will say, that sounds like a terrible idea. I think death is great. I would like to die. I don't want death to go away. And, you know, I, I don't 
I think as when I when I was a 12 year old, very obstreperous child, I used to kind of get very uppity about that, and I'd think, oh well, these people just don't understand. You know, this is like, you know, I I felt as a 12 year old philosophically understand things that you know are are far more true of than course, kind of these of course. sort of 60 year olds who are telling yeah. me things about life that obviously they have no idea about, right? And of course that change, you realize what a dumb thing it is to kind of you know assume that your preferences ought to take the place of others, but. No, I, I think I think there's something to this where you just don't know what you don't know. Like if if someone had asked a lot of folks to, alive today if they'd want a cell phone, like I mean to, to your area of focus, right? Maybe 60 years ago, and you described to them what a cell phone was, it might have been like you know maybe yes, maybe no, and a lot of them might have said it was sounded terrible. But I think it's just hard to say until you're in a society that has something so significant happen how you'll actually react. And my assumption is that most people would actually take the pill if it ever came out, and they'd probably pay significant amounts of money for it just because. Why wouldn't you? You know that, that that's why I think it's just hard to talk about such grandiose philosophical things today because until the science is there and you actually have something to offer, it's kind of like people will say all manner of things, and it's really hard to tell, you know, what will or won't happen until the the, the, the technology is actually there. Tom Rando has perhaps a more clear-eyed view. The Stanford professor is a pioneer of heterochronic parabiosis, which involves transfusing blood between animals of very different ages. This is the genesis, really, of the fascination with young or teenage blood, which was satirized in the HBO series Silicon Valley. We'll get back to the blood boys, don't worry. But on this question of whether trying to counteract aging itself is a bridge too far, Rando simply sees it as the next step. We've done it before. We put fluoride in the water, we gave children vaccines. So we've done things that have altered the natural history of life in developed societies enormously. Yeah. And then antibiotics have reduced the incidence of infectious diseases over, you know, certainly in children, but over the lifespan, we keep people alive for decades and decades, they would not survive. I mean, one could argue that the treatment of high blood pressure is doing the same thing. You're treating heart disease and, and cardiovascular disease, so you're delaying the onset of a variety of debilitating illnesses. Right. So we're just talking about doing that more broadly. It's, you know, I, I don't see this as anything more than an extension of that. It's just theoretically, it's being approached not from the point of view of one disease, it's being approached from the point of view of aging and all diseases. Now, ultimately, having said all that, in reality, if we or other people develop therapies this way, they will enter the clinic probably in trials of individual diseases. Probably it still will not end up being, let's just treat people and see if they age more slowly. We're just not there as a, we don't have a way of doing that very well. So you're going to kind of try to take off arthritis and make it a Correct. And, and then you'll find, well, it does all of them, and so everybody takes it. You know, so it'll be off-label in a sense, in that sense. Eric Verdon at the Buck Institute sees the current research as a necessary result of the predicament medicine has put us in. Here he is again. The health span has been increasing by two years every decade, but if, when you look at health span, you know, the number of years that people stay healthy, that also has been increasing progressively, but not at the same rate. And it's between 1.5 and 1.7 years every decade. So there's a little gap there that as people are getting older, a larger and larger fraction of them are getting sicker. I think that's the answer to this. Uh, there, there's not such a... It, an age at which you know everybody falls apart but if you look by i think by the age of 60 50 percent of people have one disability one chronic disease condition that could be high blood pressure or diabetes and so on which is actually quite quite high uh, and so i think our, our our primary goal is to have as ready to dramatically increase the health span when you look at it that way it all suddenly looks pretty bleak we may live to our hundreds, but who wants to do that? 
if it's going to just be one misery after another? Well, don't worry. There's a whole array of approaches at your disposal. As I mentioned, Rando has pioneered this mixing of young blood with old. It's produced some quite amazing results. We really pioneered this technique called heterochronic parabiosis. Okay, so heterochronic just means different age. So parabiosis is when you connect two animals together so they become sort of like conjoined twins. Heterochronic parabiosis is when you connect a young animal to an old animal. Or just animals of different ages, but ours is young and old. When we did that, so we connect them, they develop a single shared circulatory system. So now the tissues of the old animal are being bathed in the circulating environment of the young, and conversely, the young is being bathed in the circulating environment of the old. And when you do that, and you leave them that way for a couple of months, and then you probe the function of the stem cells, the old cells have become younger and the young cells have become older. Okay, so that was the kind of, that was the paper that hit the presses because there's a lot And when was that? That was in 2005. And this is the kind of genesis of people like, you know, the Peter Thiels of the world saying, That's right, I want young blood. It even made it on Silicon Valley, that television show. So in fact, it made it to the popular press in many, many ways. So the evolution was that paper in 2005. Surprisingly, no other paper until 2011, which was also a paper with us looking at brain repair, brain neurogenesis. And then after that, a whole flurry of papers showing it happens in other tissues. If you expose old tissues either to young blood by parabiosis or by direct injection of young blood, you get what looks like a rejuvenation of the stem cells, but even other cells right. in the old animal. Enter Jesse Carmazin, a 32-year-old Stanford Medical School graduate who last year launched Ambrosia, which is one of the world's first and only parabiosis companies. Now, I want to be clear, Dr. Rando is in no way involved and has not endorsed Ambrosia's approach. As we've stated previously, it's a long and tricky road to go from sewing two mice together in a lab to turning this into a widespread treatment for humans. And in fact, Rando's Stanford colleague, Tony weiss Carey, with whom he's carried out much of his pioneering research, has started his own company called Alkahest, which is taking the more traditional route. It's in the midst of a phase one trial to test whether young blood can help counteract Alzheimer's disease. It's early on in what is likely to be a long and arduous process. Ambrosia, however, is out selling its wares right now. It's a pretty straightforward process. Carmazin buys teenage blood from blood banks, centrifuges it to separate the plasma, the liquid part of the blood, and then injects it into older people for $8,000 a pop. Since he started the company in 2016, about 100 people have done the procedure. It's not a huge difference. They don't look like teenagers after just one treatment, but it's a noticeable improvement. I mean, the patients themselves, their friends, and us, the treating physicians, we all notice the difference. I'm not really in the camp of saying, like, this This will provide immortality. Like, I, I don't really think that's what this does. But, you know, I think it, it, it's, it comes pretty close, essentially. It could help improve things like appearance or diabetes or heart, or heart function or memory, right? Like, these are all the aspects of aging that have sort of a common cause. And if you reverse that cause, yeah, in theory, all of those systems should improve that's sort of the direction it looks like it's going. But again, this is sort of very early. We haven't really treated anyone enough times or for a long enough period to really say for sure, oh, that's what it's going to do. But that's my impression. Clearly, the science about whether this is actually anything other than a very expensive top-up is far from certain. Carmazin stresses that what he is carrying out is essentially a clinical trial to prove that it works. 
And because blood is already an approved and safe drug, quote-unquote, the risks are minimal. Ambrosia isn't the only one pushing the envelope. Mark Katakowski and Steven Klausnitzer are the founders of Forever Labs, a company that extracts and stores your stem cells for future use. They moved to Silicon Valley three months ago from Michigan to take part in Y Combinator, the famed startup boot camp that churned out the likes of Airbnb and Dropbox. The pair have both left their families at home back in the Midwest and are staying in an Airbnb while they hone their business model, and of course, to spread the word. But just a note of caution, it involves a bone needle to the behind. We will bank your stem cells so that you can live a healthier, longer life. Why this is a good idea now is because the decline in the number and function of your stem cells is, is part of the age, age-related decline. It's part of the aging process, but we have the ability to, to bank them, to freeze them in time. And so you can draw upon that, those youthful cells uh, throughout your life for either the treatment of age-related disease or actually what we're pursuing is the, to, to actually treat the age-related decline itself. We want to treat aging itself with these, these young cellular assets. And so you take the cells out. Mm-hmm. You freeze them, and then what? Well, then you continue to age, and they don't. And so... So I'm 40. Right. All right. My, my cells are 40, and I'm 42. So... Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's fast forward mm-hmm. 20 years. I'm 60. You're 62. Your cells are still 40. Yeah. I, I haven't frozen mine. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then what? In right. theory, if things progress as they are... Will you just re-inject those into your body, or, or what? Yeah, I mean, if things progress as it, according to our goals, our aims, I'll have already started doing that before I turn 60. So I'll be rejuvenating my bone marrow niche with my 40-year-old cells. And so part of me, uh, when I'm 60, will be I'll be partially 40. You'll be partially 40. Yeah, yeah, like my, my blood-building uh, stem cells, my bone-building stem cells could actually be 40-year-old stem cells contributing to my... 60-year-old self. So yeah, it might be a, an aged hybrid. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but would you look younger? I mean, I b- presume you would feel younger? If I were to say yes, we would. <laughs> no, uh, that's a tough one. So in animals, they've actually looked at when they've done this, that does make the bones technically younger. So at least it slows the age-related uh, loss of bone density when they have uh, young cells donated to their, their older self, uh, these genetically matched cells. So I might have younger bone. But you, in theory, you'd feel younger. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, it also contributes to your, your connective tissue, your, your immune system, um, your blood. So, yeah, yeah. That's right. the, and that's you're the called goal. Forever Labs. Is the idea to live forever? The idea is to maintain health forever, and I think that would be the result. The goal is to maintain health. We don't take a rational approach to health care. You know, we spend about 90% of our, our US dollars in the U.S. on age-related disease. 90%? Yeah. We don't approach you know, the maintenance of our cars in that way. (laughs) Um, We take a more rational approach to our car maintenance by changing oil, changing the air filter, changing, you know, transmission fluid. Largely what we do as healthcare is we try to restore health that's been lost rather than maintain health that we have. We're moving towards health maintenance and the result of successful health maintenance would be living, yeah, possibly forever. Believe it or not, our friend Aram Sabeti has frozen his stem cells too. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. But there's perhaps one other aspect of this new age of aging we haven't touched on. And that is the convergence of artificial intelligence, high-powered computers, and medicine. About a year and a half ago, Andreessen Horowitz, one of Silicon Valley's top venture capital firms, launched a $200 million fund to invest in companies seeking to leverage the coming together of these two worlds that have, until now, remained very much apart. It's often said that the human body is the most complicated machine on the planet. So why not point our machines, which are now smarter than they have ever been before, at hard problems, like diagnosing diseases long before they become terrifying? Vijay Pandey runs the fund for Andreessen. We acknowledge that biology is very complicated. And especially, so my PhD is in physics, but I've done a lot of work in biology. The two are very different. In physics, you have these very beautiful equations, like E equals MC squared, F equals MA. It's like, you know, it's like four characters, you know, five characters. Very beautiful, very powerful equations that describe so much. E equals MC squared is what gets you to nuclear weapons, for example. You know, it's very profound, uh, very simple, very elegant. Biology is anything but that. It's a it's huge, messy, right? complicated mess. I once was explaining to undergrad, and I actually just was looking around my office, and, you know, underneath your desk, how if you, like, have all these tangle of cables as you bought a new computer, you put a new thing in, and you never want to stop your computer from running, so it just, just becomes a mess because it just organically grew. That's biology. But, you know, uh, uh, infinitely more, you know, a million times more uh, sort of, years and, and, and mess on top of it. So it's, it's not something where it can be very easily understood by human beings. And what happens is that when biology is understood by human beings, there's some degree of oversimplification. That cost of making biology something that humans can understand means that your diagnostic test won't be quite as accurate as, as it needs to be. And your, your drug may have interactions in ways that you didn't predict. And that the opportunity here, I think we're seeing it first in diagnostics, is that machines can understand biology and its great mess and complexity better than human beings can. So, for example? A natural example is in the area of diagnostics where uh, uh, one of our portfolio companies, Freenome, is I think a great example of this where they're looking to develop early stage cancer diagnostics. And let's take a, like a, a well-known cancer diagnostic. A typical one would be something like a PSA test for prostate cancer. And the accuracy of the PSA test is roughly about 50%. Pretty poor. Right, I that's think, this your typical blood test that you would take today. Yeah, yeah, and other tests like mammograms and other things like are in that range. 
And it's for that reason, for example, that mammograms have been deprecated as standard of care uh, for women getting them at, at young ages only until they get older, just because there's so many false positives, which are a huge burden to, to the patient and to the medical system to think that you have cancer when you don't. What you need to do is get accuracies closer to 90, 95%, ideally 99%. And the problem with typical biomarkers, these things that human beings have come up with, is that people have to take the complexity of biology and reduce it into a few simple things to look at. It's almost like a type of stereotyping, you know, where, you know, you come up with some general idea, which maybe was based in some truth, but is not, it has a huge failure rate associated with it. Whereas uh, what machine learning can do, especially genomics is great because there's just so much data is that it can take all that data and build up a model that is not just looking at one gene or one mutation, but looking at a, a whole range of things and in a sense, learn from all that data, things that a human being couldn't wrap up into their head. The cute thing about this is that you can ask the computer to explain it to a human being to come up with a more simplified model. And it can come up with a more simplified model that we can understand. The accuracy typically goes down from like 0.95 to 0.8 or 0.7. Uh, much like you could explain something very complicated to a child and that you would have to oversimplify it and it wouldn't be quite the same, but that you'd be able to get the gist in there. And it is kind of this amazing thing that its ability to comprehend has that feeling. Its ability to handle all this data exceeds what we could do as individuals. So is the idea that there is the possibility that you can kind of detect the most subtle early signs and in cancer, for example, early detection is the key. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So subtle and complex, that it may be many different pieces. So I'm walking around, I'm healthy, I'm not yeah. showing any signs, but I can go in there and get a health, blood simple test. blood test. Yeah, and that uh, can detect whether you have early stage cancer, like stage zero, stage one. And the intriguing thing is that many cancers, so um, uh, lung, ovarian cancer, and others, uh, have high degrees of success, like 80, 90, in some cases, 100% chances of survival if detected early. One thing that I think I want to stress is that uh, there are some cancers for which there are not early drugs for, especially since they typically aren't detected early. So I think pancreatic cancer is an example where if you detected early, it would be a new thing for doctors. But What's intriguing to me is that for the many cancers that can be addressed early through surgery or through drugs, we can uh, actually save uh, millions of lives over the next decade by getting at them early. For the ones that can't be treated early, we now have the mechanism for starting to talk about early treatments. No one would think about developing drugs or surgery for catching something at stage zero when no one would ever be caught at that stage. And so what early diagnostics driven through machine learning AI does is that it takes what we have now and tremendously leverages it and makes it more powerful and also opens the door for new types of therapies that don't even exist today. One of the companies Pande has put his money behind is BioAge. It was started by yet another Stanford PhD, Kristen Fortney, and is trying to do for aging what cholesterol has done for heart disease. Drug developers know that high cholesterol is often followed by heart disease, so they spent tens of billions of dollars trying to figure out ways to control it. The result was a new and highly effective class of drugs called statins. Fortney is trying to do the same for aging, to find the target or targets at which researchers should aim. To do that, she's using machine learning to sift through vast amounts of health data to zero in on the most likely culprits. Well, we're trying to build biomarkers of mortality. So we use sort of machine learning and uh, big genomic data sets uh, measured in human populations. So we look at things like the metabolome, um, the proteome, the transcriptome. So we measure basically 
tens to hundreds of thousands of things in a sample for each person that we're looking at. And we correlate that information with their electronic health records to try to predict from this data who's going to get an age-related disease and, and how long someone's going to live. It's enough to make your head spin. So rather than trying to figure out what may be just around the corner, I asked Dr. Rando what aging will look like when I'm 60 and my son will be all of 20 and full of youthful exuberance. It'll look different even if we don't do anything. By that I mean whatever we're doing, we're doing something good because we're adding three months of average life expectancy per year even as we go. And that's not, we're not even trying to do that. That's, that's just happening. That's right? happening because of whatever else we're doing. Is that because of vaccines? Is that because of healthcare? Is that because, whatever we're doing is already extending average life expectancy. I think in 20 years, it'll just be more of that because we'll end up with more of these drugs, even if they're marketed for heart disease, they will be drugs like metformin, like statins, that will end up being beneficial in a generic sense by affecting this biology of aging. Will we have the fountain of youth? I predict no. Will we have an acceleration of this trend that's already happening? I would say yes, uh, with one caveat, and that is it really has been predicted that the obesity epidemic in this country has the pot potential to lead to the first generation in 100 years that lives shorter than their parents. That would be a reversal of everything I said. Even if we develop these medications, yeah. if we really can't get a hold of this caloric intake problem this country has, all of these will be for naught. How do you feel about the death part of it? If you Laura Deming. W would you like to die? You think it's philosophical? Would I like to die? Mm. Uh, I don't think I'd like to die. Mm, I feel okay. I fully expect to die. Ah, um, I see. Uh, yes, I fully expect to die, and I don't have an, I guess I don't have an issue with that. I guess it's a question of how I die and when I die. <laughs> good, good, good points. <laughs> the details really matter. <laughs> what about you? I wouldn't necessarily like to, I think. You would not like to die. I try not to think about it. I think, I think if what we're doing works out, then, 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 then I'll be able to think about and yes or no to that question. But for now, I'm just kind of like, well, was it possible to all impact that? And then, then we'll... So is that what you're that. working toward is basically making death a yes or no question? Definitely, the focus is like health span. But if you think about it, that, that probably is going to end up impacting life. If the things we're working on play out, it'd be hard to imagine a role where some of them didn't end up impacting life spans. So like, in that case, yes, you would have to think about this problem a little bit. Knowing the science as you do, do you think that's realistic that that would be a decision people would have to make who are alive today? No, I think they'll make it automatically. I think it'll be like, you know, you go to the hospital and somebody offers you, like, you know, and you have lymphoma, and someone's like, well, would you like a basic treatment for this? You, you're not going to say, no, I'd like to die because I think death is natural. You're going to be like, yes, I have lymphoma, like, please give yeah. me a lymphoma. The kinds of therapies we're making will all be as simple in their uh, presentation as that. Like, you have a disease, would you like to be, have something for it? Then yes. And so, right. But as you say, it'll be disease by disease rather than the age pill. Exactly. I, I, well, I think right from a regulatory perspective, that's, that's what it looks like it'll be for the next decade, at least for now. Vijay Pandey. As much as I love the concept of disrupting death or something like that, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a bit premature to be talking that way. I think I would rephrase the question, which is, are we thinking about healthcare in the right way? If we wait until people get physically old and then have tons of diseases thrown at them, whether it would be 
Alzheimer's, heart disease, you know, frailty, just their ability to recover. Even frankly, my ability to recover in my 40s is very different than it was in my 20s. I feel you on that. I agree. Like I was indestructible at 18 and now I can like, (laughs) you know, running around with my kids, I get hurt, you know. So the question is, how can we help preserve our immune system's ability to heal ourselves as long as possible? And that's at the heart of this is that our idea of thinking about medicine as we have this disease, we have this indication, and then you go after that indication, we wait until you have a disease, is part of the, the framing problem. Part of the problem would be is that um, we were so much better in our teens because our, our immune systems were so much stronger. And what can we do to preserve that as long as possible? Ned David. You know, in a post-senolytic era where, you know, you won't get atherosclerosis, you won't get osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, or macular degeneration. These will be things you read about in books, kind of like when you read, like, somebody like Dickens and you read about consumption, and someone like, you know, in a garret somewhere, like, coughing up, you know, tubercular lumps of blood, right? These will be things that are the products of, like, retrospective fiction. Do you think we'll live forever? I think... Aram Sabedi. Well, today or in our lifetimes? Let's say, well, let's start with today and we can work forward. I think you and me like today have a very long shot. Not zero, but I think it's a long shot. If I was to pull a number out of the air, I'd say 5%, right? 5%. But you think that concept is attainable? Absolutely from some very basic premises and you know I'm, I'm not an expert in you know biology so maybe i'm wrong but it seems to me that if you just start from the premise that the human body does not work by magic that this is an engineering problem that is eventually solvable now maybe the technology to do so is fantastically complicated and we're not going to solve it for another 500 years i think that's unlikely but that could be the case i don't see how it could possibly be a fundamentally unsolvable problem there's nothing in the laws of physics that says that we have to die or that aging is somehow some necessary conserved But this isn't fi- physics, this is biology. Well, biology is built on top of physics. Physics is prior to biology. So basically we're like a, uh, our bodies are an equation that can be solved or a, a code that can uh, be cracked? I, I, don't, I wouldn't quite use those words. What words would you use? <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just like I said, I think aging is a fantastically complicated engineering problem. Right. And that's it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it and are already making plans for the extra decades we will perhaps all be enjoying or enduring, depending on how it all turns out. And if you like what you're hearing, please stop into Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. It always is a very big help. Um, And if you're interested in finding out more about the subjects we covered in this week's episode, pick up the paper this weekend. I've written a big aging feature, which has some of what we talked about here, but also a bunch of other stuff that got left on the cutting room floor. I think you might find that interesting. You can also find me on Twitter. Handle is at Danny Fortson. And you can please just go again to Apple Podcasts, give a review, and we will talk to you next week when we have a very big guest. Until then, bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 